0: Welcome in to the Ken Wyman Show on BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board. Like BSL on Facebook and follow BSL on Twitter.
1: Hello everybody, Ken Wyman Show, episode three, part of Baltimore Sports and Life. Here we are on Blog Talk Radio and let's get started. We'll have a couple guests today. Paul Sporer from Fangraphs is going to join us in just a few minutes and John Eisenberg from the Com. We'll get an update on the Ravens with him coming up in about half an hour, but I want to start with the Orioles. And here's the good news: the Orioles are 23 and 14. They're in a virtual tie for first place with the Boston Red Sox in the American League East. Uh, they overall have been uh, very good, I would say. Uh, if you look around baseball, their their winning percentage is up there, I think 6.22 at the moment, and. Going into last night's game, yeah, they, they have the second best winning percentage in all of baseball, behind only Chicago Cubs. So that's the good news. But let's look at last night's game. They lose to the Seattle Mariners ten to nothing, and Baldo Jimenez. The problem with him is when do you get good of Baldo? When do you get bad of Baldo? Now, uh, but we have to give him credit for for being good of Baldo. You know, there there are times when he's bad, but we've seen him go seven, go eight, win games. Yesterday, not good. Four and a third. He ends up giving six, giving up six earned runs, five hits, four walks, four strikeouts. So the, the walks are, are enormous with him, and he does seem to walk a lot of guys. And Wade Miley, a guy that the Orioles pounded last year with the Red Sox, throws uh, six shutout innings against the Orioles last night, and so the Orioles lose 10 and up. What I want to speak about, is the guy that followed Hibaldo Jimenez into the game, and that's Brian Mattis. And uh, let me start from the beginning with Brian Mattis. When the Orioles drafted him, I was very excited because you know, I was done listening to the Orioles talk about things because, you know, the Hayden Pens and the Adam Lowens of the world and them telling us how good these guys are and they never panned out. I chose to stop listening because, like any organization, they were overrating their prospects, and, and none of them were working out, so why pay any attention to what they're saying? I chose to look at what Baseball America would have to say about people. And at the time, Baseball America was raving about Brian Mattis, uh, said he was going to be Cole Hamels. And the Orioles got him. And I remember doing a show at the 105.7 The Fan at the time. And I had Brian Mattis on the show, and he seemed like a great kid, a good sense of humor, uh, and talking to him about pitching and how excited he was. And not that that matters at the end of the day. But he had four-plus pitches. He'd throw them all. I'm excited. And, you know, at the beginning, and we can we can sort of lump him into the Rick Adair problems. That's fine, because, you know, Jake Arietta and Zach Britton and Brian Mattis, none of them worked out as starters, and they sort of were all young with Rick Adair. But you can't blame Rick Adair anymore. And what Brian Mattis has become, and I will tell you, so his stats last year, if you look at the stats, last year he had a 1-1-8 whip and a 2-9-4 ERA. Uh, he went He went 1-4. My opinion, for what it's worth, this is a guy whose numbers were a lot better than he was. Watching him last year, he would frustrate me. He seemed to always go full to hitters, like he liked full counts, like a fat kid like cake, and it would drive me crazy that he would waste pitches on hitters. And in key situations, he would end up giving up base runners or giving up runs, but they didn't be inherited runners, so they'd be charged to somebody else. And that's just my memory of it. But if, if I were the Orioles this off season, and let, let, let me let me first back up. Last year during spring training, there was a lot of rumors, and Brian Mattis was pitching well during spring. There were a lot of rumors that the Orioles were close to trading uh, Brian Mattis. One of them was uh, the, the original talk about Travis Snyder was going to be for Brad, Brian Mattis, and and not that I love Travis Snyder, but I just wanted rid of Brian Mattis. Nothing personal. I just don't think he's a good pitcher. And whatever he was going to be is never going to happen. So I was done with Brian Mattis. Now, he ends up having decent numbers, as I mentioned earlier. But then this offseason, personally, I did not tethered Brian Mattis and looked elsewhere for a left-handed pitcher. But the Orioles, they decide to hang on to Brian Mattis. And Brian Mattis, statistically uh, – However you want to look at it, just watching him, my eyeballs, like last year my eyeballs said he wasn't very good, but the stats said he was. And I haven't been pleased with Brian Mattis from my my eyeballs, which I trust. I've been watching baseball my whole life, and I I trust my eyeballs. I have not uh, been one to trust Brian Mattis for a long, long time. Well, Brian Mattis now is a guy that you can't put on the mound. His ERA is 12, his whip is three, and last night he comes in to face a couple lefties. He can't get them out. He goes an inning and two-thirds, gives up four earned, and those are his runners. He had two men on when he came into the game and immediately let them in. So that added two to Jimenez's slate. This is what Brian Mattis is now, and unfortunately, they're in a bad spot because they're probably in a position where they may have to DFA him eventually, and that was a problem for the Orioles last year. And we remember this: the team that wouldn't spend money last offseason and then brought in a bunch of guys that were platoon players and 4A players and thought they could win with those guys and ended up spending over $20 million in designated-for-assignment guys because they just they ended up having to waive guys because they weren't any good. Well, that's, that was last year. This year they spent money. I don't know how it's going to work out at the end of the day, One of the things we went into the offseason thinking the Orioles needed was starting pitching, and they really didn't go get any until Gallardo late, and Gallardo's hurt at the moment, which is a surprise because he's not a guy that gets hurt, and hopefully he can come back. He was supposed to play long toss, and that's the first step to getting back on the mound, so uh, I'm hopeful at least that Ivani Gallardo makes a return and can become that guy that I talk about all the time, that guy that gets, and maybe in a shortened season, he's not going to be able to do this for you, but when you, when you look at his prorated stats or you try to extend them to a full season, a guy that can give you double-digit wins and in innings and an ERA under four. That's what I hope Ivana Gallardo gives them. But they also need a lefty in the bullpen because they're two left-handed options, and I'm referring to the guys other than Zach Britton because Zach Britton's your closer. But your two left-handed options are Brian Madison and TJ McFarland. And I don't care. They could be both nice guys. And TJ McFarland, for all intents and purposes, seems like a, a very nice guy. But they can't pitch. And it's a business. This is not Liberty Road Little League where it's about fun and it's about the kids getting orange slices and maybe a Slurpee after the game. It's about winning baseball games. And it can't be a popularity contest. And they don't have a lefty. And I don't know where they're going for a lefty. But that... And in a world where it probably wasn't going to be that expensive, you're now stuck. Because if I'm Buck Showalter, I can't send Brian Mattis to the mound. Not anymore. He came into the game yesterday, yes, 4 nothing. Now, remember, the last time Abaldo pitched, he wasn't good. It was 5 nothing when he left, and the Orioles scored seven unanswered against the Tigers at 1-7-5. That game should have been worse. Abaldo got into trouble all the time in that game and was able to get, work his way out of it for the most part to make it. So it was only, only five, nothing. And they won seven, five. Well, last night he comes out of the game. It's four, nothing, but he's got runners on base and he was bad. There's no doubt. He was bad, but Brian Mattis gets five outs, but he also gives up five hits and a walk and he gives up two home runs. And at first he came in the face lefties and he couldn't get the lefties out. It, it's, it's just not good. You know, he, when I when I watch him pitch, it's just a perpetual disappointment, if that makes sense. continues continues to disappoint. So uh, if if I'm the Orioles, and I'm sure if I'm if if I know Dan Duquette at all, and I think I I don't know him personally, but I, I feel like I've gotten an understanding of how he does business. He's out there looking for something. He's looking for starting pitching. They tried to get Tim Lincecum, who signed with the Angels. Uh, it was I wasn't expected that Lincecum was going to come to Baltimore anyway. But they, they need starting pitching. Out. But they need a left hander. They need a left handed pitcher because now when you're moving in the season and again, I, I'm glossing over the fact that the season has been very good so far, uh, for the most part. You know they're in tied first place. They're 23 and 14. They've had two seven game winning streaks. They didn't have a seven game winning streak all of last year. So there's some positive to build on. Chris Tillman has looked very good. Uh, Tyler Wilson and Mike Wright have shown positive signs. As I mentioned, we've seen some decent outings from a ball. But there are the negatives as well, and that is you know, they're, they're kind of one-dimensional as a as a hitting club and you know we saw some some uh, a little stretch earlier this year when they all stopped hitting. And that's not going to happen very often. The good news is, as we've seen lately, uh, you've had uh, Adam Jones start to heat up a little bit. It looks like Chris Davis is heating up a little bit. Uh, those are good signs. Pedro Alvarez has started to hit the ball harder. Mark Trumbo slowing down, but did you expect him to hit 340? I mean, Matt Weiders has hit a little bit. Jonathan Scope. They've got this lineup of guys, and even without J.J. Hardy, and let's face it, I, I don't I'm not sure what J.J. Hardy is going to be offering them in the future. And, and I also don't know I, it was what the future is going to hold for J.J. Hardy. I did find it interesting that uh, they kept Manny Machado at shortstop last night, even though Yanish played. I, I assumed, and wrongly, that Yanish would play shortstop because that's his natural position. He's good at it, and they put Manny back to third. But I guess for the time being, they want to keep Manny consistent and so uh, Manny Machado was at shortstop last night. And I don't have a problem with that per se. I, I am one of those people that, and he's looked good at short. He's the best third baseman defensively on the planet, in my opinion. So I was reluctant to move him because I don't know that he's going to be a great shortstop. I think he will, but I don't know that he will. And so that's the difference. Uh, I know what he can do at third base, I think what he can be great at shortstop. But so far, you have to be pleased with what Manny Machado has given you at shortstop. And, and then it leads into the – well, and we've had the discussion on the fan this week. What do you do with Manny Machado? Now, Manny Machado made a comment at his charity function that he bleeds orange and he wants to sign long-term with the Orioles. I, I spoke to someone last night who's, who's got some insight in the organization. His opinion, and it's just his opinion, is that the Orioles will not pay the money it was going to take to sign Manny Machado. And again, just an opinion – and we could be two years away from two-plus years. There's two more years left on left his contract. But his opinion was that they, they are not going to spend what it's going to take. Because l- let's face it, right now it's probably 10 years, $275 million. And then you've got the question of is there going to be an a, uh, option year? Uh, because the Orioles are not, are, not, uh, are not want to give up that, that opt-out. They're not going to give an opt-out to a player. So, And I would assume that Manny Machado wants that. If the Orioles are smart, and I don't think they're stupid, but if they're smart, they try to get this done way before he becomes a free agent. Because if you get the free agency, I think you're done. Now, I think this is going to be different than Chris Davis. Manny Machado is going to have a lot of suitors, uh, and... It's going to be difficult because some other team is going to give him an opt-out The other teams are willing to do it. And Manny Machado is right now a top three player in baseball. And we we can, we can look at it and and decide who's better than who, but just in the same conversation, Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, Manny Machado, they're the three best players in baseball. And for that, guy at his youth his young age by the time he comes a free agent he's going to be under 30 he's going to get a 10-year deal and with probably an opt-out from somewhere else so the Orioles if they're smart they now we talk all the time about the Orioles don't negotiate during the season they, if I remember they signed Adam Jones during the season so they're not opposed to it they're not necessarily opposed to it I'd be talking to him now And they did deferred money with Chris Davis. If you want to do deferred money, and deferred money seems to be a smart way to go for athletes these days, as you see so many guys in sports, and not to say that these guys are dumb, but so many athletes go broke. So it's nice to have some money sitting on the back end. Look how Bobby is cutting checks every year. Hadn't played in forever. I bet she's happy to get that money. Now the Mets did that because they thought they were rolling in cash because Bernie Madoff was lying to them. So they gave him a contract with interest, and we know the rest of that story, but if I'm the Orioles, you, you have to be talking to Manny Machado's people right now, because you want to get this done before he can even sniff free agency. Because if, the other thing is you want to keep it sort of close to when he got hurt to let it be fr- it's freshish in his head that he, there are injuries. And if you get hurt again, it's going to cost you a hundred million dollars. Now, he was. The doctors told him that there was some sort of issue with his knees, and they fixed it, and he should be fine. But who knows? Who knows how long the knees last? Yeah, i uh, There, there might be some people in the Orioles organization doesn't think he can last till he's 37. That those knees won't hold up. So what do you give him? But I will tell you this, and this is again just my opinion. When you spent the kind of money you spent to bring in Chris Davis. To sign Gallardo, to have the offseason, you had this offseason, especially the Davis one. Let's take the rest off the table for a second. But when you gave Chris Davis $161 million, in my opinion, you became pot committed on Manny Machado. You can't just sign Chris Davis and not do anything else. And the reality is, in sports, these salaries are what they are. And they are what they are because the owners can afford it. It's just a matter of does the team want to spend it. But this is – baseball is rolling – now, we can take some of the small market franchises out of the equation. And that is uh, the, the Tampa Rays, for, for one. They're not spending. And then there are teams like the Braves. The Tampa Bay can't afford to spend. Atlanta's not it – it's known that they're not going to start spending until they get into their new stadium. So uh, they're not a spending team. But team like Bloomberg a couple of years ago said the Orioles, I think, were the eighth most valuable team in baseball. So they have the wherewithal to spend money. You're just tuning in. I hope you realize it's Ken Wyman's show here at Baltimore Sports & Life, Blog Talk Radio. We'll get back to uh, what I'm uh, uh, thinking as far as uh, the Orioles are concerned. But let's talk some Orioles and some baseball with Paul Spohr, who covers uh, baseball for fan graphs. And also you can find his work on Baltimore Sports and & Life. And, Paul, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing well. How are you, Ken?
1: Good, thanks. Uh, Let's start with the Orioles and Brian Mattis. And if you're the Orioles, what do you do? What can you do with Brian Mattis? I I talked at the top of the show about the fact that even though his stats were good last year – uh, I thought that his if my eyeball said he wasn't great, and, he, and memory says he gave up a lot of inherited runners, and I would have non-tendered him this off season. And I'm I'm not trying to gloat. I've been wrong before. I love the Glenn Davis deal, so <laughs> it just I make mistakes. But I would have non-tendered Brian Mattis. But the problem is, I don't think Buck Walter can send him back to the mound now.
2: It's really difficult. I mean, you're talking about only a, a, a six inning sample here, which which is obviously small, but it's been so utterly bad that, I, again, I agree with you. I don't know how you can have confidence to send them back out there in anything close to a difficult situation or, or a close situation, you know, maybe like an eight run lead mop up to try to get them some work. But I, I'm with you. I just – I don't know. And this is kind of the part of the issue – this speaks to the broader issue of relievers and their kind of volatility and fungibility. I got – I look at this, and I got to think that something's wrong because, like you said, last year, the numbers were strong. You know, 27% strikeout rate, a passable 10% walk rate. That's not great. But when you're allowing – or when you're striking out as many as he was and, and allowing as few of hits as Mattis was, that's all workable. But this year – Everything has gone completely sideways. He's not missing bats. He's walking guys. He's walked guys in almost every single outing he's been in. The only one that he hasn't was um, his April 30th outing, and that's because he only faced one batter. He didn't get enough time to walk somebody. So with Brian Mattis, it's, it's a really tough situation right now. When you see the numbers this bad, you almost think injury and obviously uh, he's out of options at this point. So if they can't if they can't kind of finagle him for the DL, whether it's a real injury or one of the made up ones that we often see, then I think it it has to be a situation where they kind of move on. You know, it, it's just not working out. Even in six innings, I think we can make that kind of strong statement.
1: Can they find that hole that Abaldo uh, Jimenez stepped in a couple years ago?
2: I mean. <laughs> I didn't like the Ubaldo move when it happened. I'm not, i not really been a big Ubaldo guy. You talk sure. about volatility, those mechanics, they, they yield so much volatility because it's difficult for him to consistently repeat. Even yeah. in that, even in that year with Cleveland, that breakout year that actually earned him this deal with Baltimore, he didn't get off to a good start that year. He had to kind of find it. Uh, I think maybe like two months into the season was when Ubaldo really turned it around and then ran off four good months. But I just – it's a situation at this point with what's he he got left? He's got the rest of this year and then another 13.5 mil next year. So it's tough to even cut him. But what about moving him to the bullpen? Maybe he could – you know. and I know that you don't want to pay 13.5 mil for somebody who's in in the bullpen of his stature, but how many times more can you start him when you're in a very difficult AL East situation? You know, Boston's the only one that's on Baltimore's tail right now, but I'm not giving up on Tampa Bay – Toronto or even really the Yankees. They're they're a hot week. They're a six and one kind of week away from being right back in it themselves. And the Baltimore Orioles cannot afford to give away games. And and you're asking so much of your offense when Ubalda goes on the mound when he's given up five point six runs per nine, you're asking them to be on their best every single time that he's out. It's a great offense and they can do it most nights, but it, it, it's it's dangerous. And honestly, that was the one thing that worried me about the club was the starting pitching. And so sure. I think there's still a move to, be, move to be made with the starters. But I, I, I just I don't trust Evaldo at all.
1: Talking to Paul Sporer from Fangraphs. Also, you can find his work on Baltimore Sports in life. Uh, I was discussing earlier the Manny Machado uh, dilemma for the Orioles. And obviously, uh, he's had a great start to the season. I think he's universal thought, universally thought of as one of the top three players in baseball. So the question becomes, what's he worth, and how should the Orioles be handling Manny Machado? Should they be aggressively trying to get him signed? Do you think they're a team that will spend that kind of money?
2: I do think that they should, and I think we are seeing, you know, five, maybe even ten years ago, but probably closer to even five, we would see, you know, there were the haves and the have-nots, right? There were, you know, everyone's talking Yankees, Red Sox, the, the big teams they would spend – and, you know, your, your, your Pirates and your, your Cincinnati's and, and, you know, even your Detroit, they wouldn't necessarily spend. Tampa Bay, of course. Tampa Bay's still in that realm. Oakland's still in that realm. But I think that the middle has really come up. And, and Baltimore's a team that has not been afraid to spend. They've actually been closer to the half than the have, not at least in terms of spending. Although they were also the example of when people would say spending money doesn't guarantee success because they had some of those big payrolls back in the day that, that didn't come to fruition because it wasn't spending wisely. This is an instance where it would be spending very wisely. I understand that he's had the two, the two knee injuries, but you're talking about a guy who's 23 years old right now. That could maybe come back. It'll probably come back into play in his 30s and, and make it a situation where, okay, he might slow down a little bit faster than normal, but maybe not even. You know, we, modern medicine these days does so much good that I'm not sure that a lot of folks even saw him getting to this level this quickly after the two knee injuries. He is just a special talent. And I remember people back, you know, two, three years ago saying Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, and Manny Machado. There was a group of people, and they Mm. deserve credit. There's a lot of them out there that you can go back and look at articles. They wanted Manny Machado included with those two as potential, you know, generational talents that are going to be best player in the league type of players. And I think Andy Machado absolutely belongs in that category, especially when you consider the fact that he can be a premium shortstop or a premium third baseman.
1: So then what's he cost? wheres where, it a number that starts with a two? Is it a number that starts with a three? What kind of number is going to get done? Because the problem is if the longer you wait, the number goes up.
2: Absolutely. Every day it seems it goes up the way he's hitting. Uh, it starts with a two right now. I, I, think, I think they can get something done – in the realm that, that can start with a two, give them enough length, give Machado enough, uh, enough cash to want to, to do it. Maybe something in that, you know, listen, Trout's was six, 144. So if we're going to get into the twos, we're probably talking about more of a 10 year deal. If that's, mm-hmm. if that's a, a commitment that they want to make. And honestly, they should be open to that. Again, this is a generational talent. Those 10 year deals, they can be tough, but they're tough when you sign an Albert Pujols at age 30, 31. Not as bad when you sign a, a, a man named Machado at 23 and get him throughout all of his twenties into his early thirties. And if you sign him for, let's, let's just, let's just say eight, maybe he doesn't want to do 10. Let's just say seven, eight. That still gives him enough time to get another big deal. He'll get that big 30, 38, age 30 free agent deal. So I think something, if it's eight, it, it, it might not be quite 200. Uh, actually, I would still say probably 200. That's 25 mil a year. Mm-hmm. I think something like that could get it done. If they if they put 208 on the table, he has to listen, right? I mean, that that's such an amazing deal for a 23-year-old.
1: Talking to Paul Sporter from Fangrass, also find his work in Baltimore Sports and Life. Let's talk about a positive Oriole, and that's Chris Tillman. What are you noticing different about Chris Tillman this year as opposed to last year?
2: Well, um, one of the things that I was really interested in to see if, if Tillman would do was if he'd work the fastball up because that's where he had success last year. Last year was a tough season, um, and I thought one of the things about him is that his fastball is not great. It, 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 can, it can be good in spurts, but he definitely has to work it up in the zone. When he starts lingering around the middle, it can be a fat pitch, and, and, and it makes it tough for him to get to his secondary stuff. Well, we're seeing a lot of good things. Not only is he working the fastball up in the zone and getting a lot of great success on it, but he's relying a lot less on the fastball because Tillman has electric secondary stuff, and he's had it for a long time. it's a situation where you can have that secondary stuff, but if you can't get to it, because your fastball is getting beaten around the yard and you're not, you're not coming in, you know, uh, pitching backwards, as they say, and opening up with breaking balls, which a lot of pitchers don't do, then he, he's not going to be able to get to it. Well, this year he's not having the problem getting to his secondary stuff. The fastball is faster this year. The velocity is up. Uh, it, it, it's evened out a little bit. It's up more of about a mile per hour. Early in the season it was about two miles an hour. But he's, he's, he's still up. Anything over a mile is a substantial difference. He's leaning on the cutter more. And I I think that that's a big difference. It gets classified sometimes as a slider. It it kind of depends on the speed and and break of it. It, We'll call it a a slutter. We'll say it's the combination of the two. But the secondary stuff, he's got three pitches that he's relying on 15% of the time or more. That's a devastating arsenal. That keeps guys off balance, and that neutralizes the platoon split. So I think there's a lot of positive aspects of what Chris Tillman's doing this year, not only with his velocity, but with his location and the pitch mix. I think we could be seeing a a, a true breakout season here from Chris Tillman, which might sound weird at age 28 because we don't usually see those, but I'm really interested in what he's doing this year, and I believe a lot of what we've seen.
1: You know the interesting thing is, is uh, will the Orioles pay Chris Tillman because they're an organization that doesn't like giving big long-term contracts to pitchers.
2: And honestly, I'm 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 okay with that because you know look look at just what happened with obviously the Ubaldo deal. I don't know that the the Giovanni Gallardo deal is going to be something that they're going to be thrilled with. If it's a situation where they can kind of meet him in the middle, because obviously Tillman's going to want to get paid, and and he's having he's having his big season. Um, you know he's got one more year after this, I believe. So. If he has a good year this year, follows it up with another good year next year, that's when he's looking to get paid. But he's going to be 30. So he took a while to kind of get going. I don't know that they necessarily want to jump it and try to pay him this year. I would, I would be very against that, to be quite honest. Uh, as, as well as he's pitching and as much as I like him as a pitcher, I just don't think it's a smart financial deal to try to jump it this year, get him signed any sort of long-term deal. See how this year plays out? Take your chance next year. If he beasts out again and, and the price goes up, we'll let him move on and, and, and go elsewhere. So much changes in a year, let alone two years, and you know, we're a year and a half off from Chris Tillman's free agency. I honestly wouldn't look to sign him. Just take the good that you're getting this year, see if it comes back again next year, and then worry about it. If he wants to do maybe a three year deal and you and you do age thirty to thirty three, okay. But but as it stands right now, I would just let Tillman go as is and, and just take the good that you're getting for him as a $6 million player.
1: Last thing for you, Paul, and we're talking to Paul supporter from Fangraphs, also Baltimore Sports and Life. Are you feeling as good about Joey Rickard as most fans were, say, uh, a few weeks ago?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty positive on, on what he's been able to do. It's been actually kind of an interesting season for him because he's displaying power that we definitely didn't expect out of Rickard. That, that, that was never really his game in the minors. He doesn't have a season in the minors with even double-digit home runs. I think eight or nine was his, was his career high, and that was, that was early in his career. I want to say that was his first or second year without looking at it. Speed was supposed to be his game, speed and the ability to kind of take a walk so I think as he kind of gets more and more comfortable and deep into his first season here, I think we'll kind of see him evolve closer to, to what the expectations were based on his minor league numbers. So I think we'll see a little bit more patience at the plate, a little bit more speed. He might be selling out for power a little bit more. His strikeout walk ratios are workable. A 318 on base is passable, but I think he's somebody that with the skills that he's shown in the past can be more of a 330 on base guy. And that's, a, that's something with speed that can really work out. So, yeah, I think there's reasons to still be positive on the 25-year-old. It's
1: Paul Spore. You can find us work in Fangraphs and also Baltimore Sports and Life. Paul, great stuff. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Hey, coming up in the show, uh, if you want to get caught up on the Baltimore Ravens, John Eisenberg covers the Ravens for BaltimoreRavens.com. He's going to join us coming up in a few minutes. The Ken Wyman Show, Baltimore Sports and Life, here on Block Talk Radio.
3: The Baltimore Animal Rescue and Care Shelter, or BARKS for short, is a nonprofit organization. They take in homeless, neglected, and unwanted animals in Baltimore City. And their mission is to accept and care for all animals in need. All of them. And they, they only want to promote responsible pet ownership for a more humane community in Baltimore City. Please help care for the animals at Barks by making a tax deductible contribution to the Barks Medical Care Fund. You can donate online at baltimoreanimalshelter.org or mail a check to Barks at 301 Stockholm Street, Baltimore, Maryland, 21230. Operation Second Chance is a group of patriotic citizens committed to serving our wounded, injured, and ill combat veterans. Operation Second Chance supports veterans and their families while they recover in military hospitals, and they do this by building relationships and identifying and supporting immediate needs and interests. Operation Second Chance is dedicated to promoting public awareness of the many sacrifices made by our armed forces. Learn more about Operation Second Chance at their website, operationsecondchance.org.
4: Speak, or Suicide Prevention Education Awareness for Kids, promotes the prevention of youth suicide through a campaign of education and awareness at the community level. Every one hour and 53 minutes in the U.S., we lose another young person by suicide. That's a Columbine every day. Speak is the leader of suicide prevention in Maryland and provides literature, speakers, and programs to schools and organizations. Learn more at speakforthem.org.
0: Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations on the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow
1: BSL on Twitter. And Wyman show here on uh, Baltimore Sports and Light Blog Talk Radio, episode 3 as we uh been having fun here doing this uh, weekly. Uh, Baltimore Ravens as we get closer to training camp and the next season and the draft itself goes in the rear view and we see how these guys turn out. And we talked last week about the decision the Ravens made not to trade a third to move up and get Jalen Ramsey. Uh, instead uh, you have Bronson Kafusi as a third round pick and we'll have to see forever how that works out because remember years ago, they could have traded a three to go up and get Des Bryant and they didn't do it. And that third round pick turned out to be Ja Reed and granted you you swap ones I, I get all that, but Ronnie Stanley is going to be a guy and he's already signed. It. Isn't it great in the NFL now with the rookie salary cap? We don't have those holdouts anymore. It, it's you're you're confident to know that your draft picks, unless something bizarre happens, are going to be a training camp. That no more do we have to sit here and that there's the posturing and talking about signing bonuses and it, it sucks for the players. Obviously, you know Sam Bradford got was the last of those big bonus babies, guys that got massive contracts uh, just uh, to be drafted. Now you sort of have to get your first contract out of the way and then earn it, but it makes things easy on the team, and as a fan, you have to be thrilled with the fact that unless something really weird happens, uh, you're going to have your players – at training camp, and you're going to have them for the, ready, ready for the season, ready to go. The other bit of news that came this week was Keenan Reynolds. It looks like the Naval Academy is going to – not the Naval Academy, but the Navy. He's done with the Naval Academy. The Navy is going to give him the waiver and let him play, which makes sense because it's a PR thing, that he's going to do more to promote the Navy and the Naval Academy in that for that matter uh, as a member of the National Football League than he will serving his, his five-year commitment, and they'll have to work out how he does things otherwise, but it looks like his focus will be allowed to be on playing NFL football. So that's good news. Now it's just a matter of can he play because guy played quarterback at Navy looked great at Navy. Sometimes I wonder about the level of competition and how much of that uh, had to do with how good he looked, but you can't deny the fact that he looked great at the Naval Academy. So Let's continue to talk Baltimore Ravens, John Eisenberg long time covered the Ravens now with uh, Baltimore Ravens.com. And he joins us now. And John, Uh, How are you this afternoon? Doing well. How are you doing? Good, thanks. You've had a few weeks to, uh, I guess a few weeks now, to digest the draft. How do you feel about what the Ravens did? And I'm curious to ask you about what they did in the fourth round when you're done.
5: Well, the fourth round was really something. uh, uh, You know, generally speaking, um, I mean, I I think it's an interesting draft. Uh, you know, uh, I think the Ronnie Stanley pick was fine, uh, and I think he'll be a good player for them. Uh, you know, I don't think there's any doubt that the Ravens hoped uh, to maybe come away from this draft with a, a difference-making defensive player. Uh, you know, the, it's clear in hindsight that uh, I believe they targeted, you know, that they believe that the two best players in this draft were, were Joey Bosa and Jalen Ramsey. Uh, and, uh, you know, they were both gone as it turned out uh, or, or certainly Bosa was gone, uh, drafted at three. So they tried to trade up to four and get Ramsey and uh, they were unable to do it. And so, uh, you know, that sort of left them in a position. Well, now what do we do? They went for, uh, you know, the high guy on their board, Ronnie Stanley. I think, you know, it's a, it's, I hesitate to call it a fallback position, but uh, when you're drafting at number six, but so they wind up with a tackle. It's not very exciting. I think it's going to be a solid pick for the rest of the picks, I mean you know uh, you know, it remains to be seen sort of what all these guys will do. I mean there's all sorts of players, eleven picks in all, uh, you know you know the, i mean the there, there's defensive ends, there's you know receivers, running backs there's everything and and I don't know that there's any immediate starters in the group. Uh, you know, I think that uh, Stanley would be probably the only immediate starter to come out of this draft, but I do think there are going to be some players who can compete for a job and uh, will have a role on this team, and in two or three years we'll know a lot better.
1: Well, John, it, it also seems like a, Stanley seems like a fallback because then the talk uh, on ESPN afterwards was he was a fallback at tackle, that they might have been interested in Laramie Tunsil until that video posted, and I have no problem if that is, is the case, which they're denying, but with the timing of that video, you have no way to bet it in the time you have. I don't have a problem with the way they handled that.
5: No, and uh, I'm under the impression uh, that they knew about thing, that thing a couple of days ahead of time.
1: That's what I okay. heard. Uh,
5: uh That they did know about it, and uh, they had other concerns about Tunsil. And, uh, uh, I mean, you know, is a player who was suspended uh, – at Ole Miss, and, you know, he's a good player, there's no doubt. Uh, you know, a good football player, a real good football player, and, and would have been fine. But uh, I do think coming off a year when uh, their first-round draft pick didn't get on the field, they really want their first-round draft pick to be on the field and, uh, you know, a clean, you know, I mean, you never know about injuries, obviously. But, uh, you know, I just think they felt like there were just very few You didn't check off a whole lot of concern boxes with Stanley, so let's just go for it. And like you, uh, I have no problem with it.
1: Talking to John Eisenberg, BaltimoreRavens.com. So let me ask you about that fourth round When This was all going on, and they made a couple moves. They traded down twice in the second round. Uh, I had this feeling that they were going to use those picks to target somebody in the third round and trade back up. Do you think it was their plan all along to draft five guys in the fourth round?
5: Uh, No. I mean, I I think – I think that they were more than willing to trade up. Uh, you know, I get the feeling just listening, and no one told me this, but listening to sort of Ozzy's ruminations at the end of every day that this was a draft where he, he, he tried to pull off quite a few things, and none of them happened. You know, he tried to trade up in the first round, he tried to trade back into the second round, uh, the back end of the second round, uh, you know, and those fours definitely could have been, I'm sure, that they were involved in that pick, in, in that trade. Uh, it did not happen. I'm assuming they were going after a cornerback at that at that slot uh, and yeah, I mean, they could have traded into the third round. I think the second round is really the one where you would have seen some force go, but uh, you know, once again, this was one of those years where, and he's traded all over the board, you know, mm-hmm. but this was a year where it just didn't happen. So they were, you know, they wound up with those five picks and, you know, they were kind of just observing them. And I've been to a lot of drafts. They were kind of funny about it. I mean, they're, they, play their cards close to the vest. They were like exhilarated about getting to pick five players in an hour. Something about it, the the challenge of it, they've been looking forward to it and, uh, you know, they've got all excited about it.
1: John, it's interesting. So Ronnie Stanley's their first round pick. And I sort of find, I, I compare that, you know, fans are always disappointed when a team takes an offensive lineman because there's nothing flashy about that. And I sort of compare that to like when you get all excited for Christmas and you get socks, you need socks, <laughs> But we're never excited about socks, but they're actually very important. Uh, I, I kind of – that's sort of when, when they, they were picking the top six and you thought they were going to have one of these skill position players fall to them. And I like DeForest Buckner a lot, and obviously they didn't like him as much. But it, it just feels like that was some of the disappointment, at least from the fan side.
5: Definitely. And, and then I wrote a column a few weeks before the, the draft saying, get ready for the big sigh called it the big side because it's what's going to, you know, it could easily happen that they take a alignment. And, uh, there were a couple of them on the board and there's no question fans would sigh. And it was like, okay, it's a classic Ozzie Newsom pick. You know, I mean, uh, they, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's definitely, uh, you know, build with, uh, the guts of the team more than flash. And, and, uh, he's had some ups and downs with those selections over the years, more ups than downs obviously. Uh, but, uh, so, you know, it's a, it's a classic pick, and, and, and I don't have a problem with it. I mean, uh, uh, you know, the offensive line, uh, really, if you go the last few years, the Ravens have pretty much gone how their offensive line has gone. Uh, 2013, they couldn't run the ball at all, uh, finished 500. Uh, 2014, they ran the ball beautifully. I think Gary Kubiak had a lot to do with that. and His sure. philosophy, but nonetheless, the line – played very nicely, one of the best years of, of, of offensive line play the Ravens had. Uh, they wind up in the playoffs, uh, you know, and they're, uh, they you know have a 14-point lead over the Patriots and wound up losing that game closer than they probably ever believed to getting really far. And then last year, the line regresses, the team regresses. And, uh, you know, those are not directly corresponding, but I think you get my point. You know, they need the offensive line to play well. So put this kid in there. And uh, I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, you know where he's going to play, or whether they're going to hold on to Eugene Monroe. I mean, I, that remains to be seen, and I think we'll know pretty soon here. But uh, uh, you know, get the line fixed and 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 and, be, and and run the ball. I think that that's one of the biggest steps the Ravens can take to becoming uh, an improved football team in 2016.
1: John, I think we both know that at the end of the day, draft grades are kind of meaningless because we won't know how teams actually did for a few years. But everybody raved about the Jacksonville draft. Uh, getting Ramsey in the first round and getting miles Jack in the second round, well the Ravens could have had that draft if they were willing to trade a three <laughs> to move up uh to four they could add Ramsey and they had the opportunity to trade Jack and they traded down the, that That would have been the sizzle draft that I think fans would have loved do you, Does part of you wish they went that way
5: yeah <laughs> i think uh, I think that would have been pretty exciting. Uh, there's no doubt, and I think it uh, certainly would have brought some energy to that defense, which I think they, they wanted to do, uh, you know, but uh, they couldn't pull off the trade, and so that was the key one, and and, and and Miles Jack, I believe that decision was made by on the medical side. The football side of the Ravens loves Miles Jack. They loved him. You know, you look at tape, of course you love him. He's really good, and mm-hmm. he's electric, and, and he fills a need with Daryl smith That He would have just plugged right in. I think it would have been quite a pick, especially 36, crazy good pick. But I think the, uh, you know, all these teams vetted him, all these teams, the medical side, came up with an opinion. And uh, is he worth a, what kind of pick is he worth? And obviously the Ravens decided he is not a second-round pick. It's too much of a gamble, you know. that. Uh, and, and it's really going to be interesting to track that, And I and I certainly plan on doing so. Let's see how this kid's career turns out. And, uh, you know, did they make a mistake there? They've left themselves open to second-guessing, and I don't wish ill on on the young man at all, but it's definitely one to follow.
1: Talking to John Eisenberg, BaltimoreRavens.com. You know, I I think back with them having the opportunity to trade a third to move up and get Ramsey reminds me of the Des Bryant draft where they had the opportunity to trade a third to move up one spot to get Des Bryant, they chose not to. The Cowboys jumped them, got Des Bryant, and the third-round pick turned out to be Ja Reed. Uh, let's hope that Bronson and is a better player than Jari turned out to be
5: <laughs> well yeah i mean i i I wrote in my my sort of draft summary column you know I did write that there's definitely a part of me that wished they had spent that three you know I think uh that would have really been something uh you know it's a two for one trade they uh, you know it's two players instead of one uh, you would have uh uh Jalen Ramsey instead instead of Kafui and Stanley so uh you know, uh, I mean, that's just, it's just one of those eternal situations. Different people are going to have different opinions. I mean, I would love to have seen that. Uh, but, uh, you know, they, uh, it, just, it just didn't happen. The Cowboys didn't pull a trigger and on the other end of the trade. And so you, you just move on. That's what you do in the draft.
1: John, were you surprised that they didn't go cornerback until the fourth round and then that was it? Just Tavon Young who sort of projects as a nickel corner when it seems like that's one of the real needs here.
5: Yeah, I was a little bit surprised. Uh and really what what's more surprising, uh, is and, and this was written after the draft by, you know, a number of observers. And, you know, I know I dug in and I I sort of looked. I mean Jimmy, I'm I'm trying to remember, it's been a few weeks, but Jimmy Smith is the only first or second day draft cornerback that they have taken since 2010, I think, 2000, and I think that's the stat, you know. They've definitely neglected the position in the draft. They, they have. And, and, you know, of course, one of Ozzie Newsom's mantras is you can never have enough pass rushers, you can never have enough. So they, they've, they've neglected it. You know, that's just, uh, there it is. And, you know, uh, I, uh, to me, it, it, it begs a question, you know, is it, is it happenstance or is it philosophy? And I, I, I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, I think it's a fair question. Uh, you know, you see that much. Uh, sort of going in other directions, it does make you wonder. Um, I mean, obviously, a first-round pick uh, on Jimmy Smith. I mean, that's a real investment, and they, they've also—they've not—it's not like they've neglected the past. I mean, you know, they've gone. Matt Elam was a first-round pick,
0: mm-hmm. and
5: uh, you know, so they—they they have gone that way, uh, but uh, you know, not at the cornerback position specifically. And I can't I cannot—I mean, I personally. If you force me to, to, to ask, is it a philosophy or is it happenstance? I would, I would pick happenstance. I think that's just the way it goes. Uh, you know, they they adhere to their board for the most part. There's been some cornerbacks there that they didn't want. You know, there's nothing worse than a high pick on a quarterback who's not very good. Uh, so they have they have just not done it. Uh, you know, but uh, it does leave them vulnerable at times, and they have to fill in with veterans.
1: John, I'm curious of what you think about that. My, I have a theory that the game has changed so much and it's become this glorified seven on seven drill. And because yep. of that, you need a lot of wide receivers and a lot of corners and the Ravens sort of their mantra has been in the trenches. And yes, that's important. But since the game has changed, they've sort of been reluctant to change with it.
5: Um. Yes, I mean I agree with the seven on seven thing, but look at the teams that win the Super Bowl. I mean, it's not all seven on seven. It's uh, you know the Denver Broncos this year that was that was deep. Sure, they, they they couldn't even throw the ball downfield with Peyton Manning. Uh, the the Seahawks before that that was defense and a running game, the old style. Uh, you know so. Uh, yeah, I mean, you see a lot of 7-on-7, seven seven, but you, you don't see a lot of 7-on-7 seven seven in the Super Bowl. <laughs> you see it, you know, those teams get knocked out. I mean, uh, you know, that's not to say that some haven't won. The Saints won going back a few years. New but, England? Uh, yeah, New England. Well, New England, is it's so strange because they, they have no – I mean, they, they've they abandoned that aspect of football. They, they, they don't even try to run the ball, it seems no. like. So, uh, and they use short passes as running, as a running game. I mean, it's, it's really a new brand of football almost there. So, uh, it's not like Brady's throwing the ball way downfield. It's not all bells and whistles, you know, it's very much a possession passing game. But anyway, um, you know, uh, whether or not that it's not that they've been, I mean, I do think that the Ravens believe that style still wins, you know, you know, be tough, hit hard. And, uh, uh, you know, run the ball, and I think they're, personally, I think the Ravens are at their best when they run the ball. They're never going to abandon the pass. They Joe Flacco, you know, they're going to win with as far as, as he can carry them. You know, he's the key guy there. They're going to throw the ball. So, I don't think there's any doubt about that, especially with Mark Tressman as offensive coordinator. You know, he's a passing first guy. So, uh, you know, but I, I personally don't think the Ravens can win uh, as a passing first team. I think they need to run the ball. That's the kind of, kind of team they are. They're put in a turf field, uh, you know, a grass field. Uh, you know, they play a physical style. And I think they need to run the ball as well as pass it. And, and that, is, that is the style. And, and And, you know, you still have to play that game. And uh, they, you know, whether or not they can defend the pass well enough remains to be seen. I do think they'll be able to pass the ball well enough. Whether they can defend it, you know, it's certainly a fair question. But uh, I do think that the Ravens do have a philosophy they believe will work for them, and they are sticking with it.
1: John, a couple of quick final things for you. Gerard Powers, the Ravens signed him this week. What are your expectations? Is he a guy that might compete for a starting job?
5: Yeah, I think, yeah. Uh, I, 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 I've heard he's more of a slot guy. Uh, you know, that was his position in Arizona. He played a lot. So, uh, you know, his numbers, pro football focus didn't give him resounding numbers, that's for sure. But uh, uh, he seems to be one of those players that, I mean, he was in the NFC Championship game last year and and uh, playing for that team and had a nice role and seems to be a pretty good signing. I mean, whether or not he starts, uh, you know, I think it's wide open there. Jimmy Smith is one cornerback, all those other things all you know, all these other candidates. There's there's a number of them. Will Davis coming back from an injury. Sure. You know, uh, you know, Sharice Wright, they've given him some money. Uh I think he's gonna be the starter. And his numbers were actually better than everybody's. You know, when you look at the pro football focus grades, better than Jimmy Smith, better than all these guys last year. So I know mean, people sort of look askance at him, but he's he actually played pretty well after that horrible first game against San Francisco. So uh you know in the long run I think it'll be Jimmy Smith, and sure he's right, but but uh, you know, I think they're really looking forward to just opening it up and seeing what happens.
1: And then finally, the Ravens got some good news about Keenan Reynolds. It looks like he's going to be cleared to play. I, I guess the question is, what <laughs> expectations, if any, do you have as to what they're going to get from him?
5: Well, that's that's it. He's a six round draft pick. They haven't gotten a ton from a six round draft pick in a long time. Uh, you know, I think he's. I, my expectation is he'll compete with Michael Campanero. I mean, I think those two—they sort of eye as the same sort of slot receiver guy. I mean, Reynolds—you uh, know—can. I mean, Campanero can also run punts back, and it's sort of the same job. So we'll we'll see what happens there. Campanero also can't stay healthy. So, and Campanero obviously—you know—is one of those guys where had injuries throughout his career. When he's been on the field, he's made plays. He's he's kind of an interesting player. But, uh, you know, the inability to stay healthy can derail a career. So, uh, you know, I think Reynolds will have every chance to, to sort of assume that role as a slot receiver, uh, punt returner, hands on the ball in space. Um, there's just no telling. I mean, uh, he's, he's, you know, uh, uh, he's changing positions. It's, it's a lot on his plate. Let me put it that way. He's changing positions. He's moving up substantially in terms of caliber of play. I mean, he's going to have to be in the Naval Reserves, you know, yeah. uh, he's going to have to juggle that obligation. It's a lot for a young man, but uh, you know, he's an impressive young man and really dedicated and determined. And uh, it's going to be fun to watch to see if he can, if he can pull this off. Uh,
1: John, one more thing, i I'd be remiss to ask you about this, the situation where they had pads on the rookies and they weren't supposed to have pads on the rookies and, so now the NFL is investigating and they had a situation a few years ago where they lost a week of OTAs cuz they did something they weren't supposed to do. Is this is this something that could be similar where they get penalized that stiffly again?
5: You know, I I don't know whether they could get penalized that stiffly. Uh, you know, a rookie camp. Uh, it's, I suppose it's possible. Uh, you know, I don't uh have my hands on a ton of the details with this. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, they're, listen, they got turned in, uh, all of, it's amazing. What's collectively bargained. It, it is amazing. <laughs> and, and you yep. you want to get an NFL coach, uh, you know, fired up and irritated and talking about stuff, talk about how practice is collectively bargained. It drives them completely nuts. None more than John Harbaugh, I might add. Uh, but there it is. They have to adhere to these rules. They're important rules. It's player safety. And, yeah, if they violated it, you know, they'll get hit for something. I mean, I couldn't begin to tell you how much, but uh, they will they will get hit for it.
1: John Eisenberg does a great job covering the Ravens for BaltimoreRavens.com. John, great stuff today, man. Thank you so much for your time.
5: Uh, my pleasure. Anytime.
1: Take care. John Eisenberg. You can find his stuff at BaltimoreRavens.com. Uh, it's Ken Wyman's show. It's uh, Baltimore Sports and Life here on Blog Talk Radio. And we'll come back. Uh, final thoughts is uh, the uh, – it's just my thoughts on, I love the NBA, NBA playoffs draft lottery was last night. I'll get into that next.
3: The Baltimore Animal Rescue and Care Shelter, or Barks for short, is a nonprofit organization. They take in homeless, neglected, and unwanted animals in Baltimore City, and their mission is to accept and care for all animals in need, all of them, and they, they only want to promote responsible pet ownership for a more humane community in Baltimore City. Please help care for the animals at Barks by making a tax-deductible contribution to the Barks Medical Care Fund. You can donate online at baltimoreanimalshelter.org or mail a check to Barks at 301 Stockholm Street, Baltimore, Maryland, 21230. Operation Second Chance is a group of patriotic citizens committed to serving our wounded, injured, and ill combat veterans. Operation Second Chance supports veterans and their families while they recover in military hospitals. And they do this by building relationships and identifying and supporting immediate needs and interests. Operation Second Chance is dedicated to promoting public awareness of the many sacrifices made by our armed forces. Learn more about Operation Second Chance at their website, operationsecondchance.org.
4: Speak, or Suicide Prevention Education Awareness for Kids, promotes the prevention of youth suicide through a campaign of education and awareness at the community level. Every one hour and 53 minutes in the U.S., we lose another young person by suicide. That's a Columbine every day. Speak is the leader of suicide prevention in Maryland and provides literature, speakers, and programs to schools and organizations. Learn more at speakforthem.org. Baltimore Sports and Life
0: is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations on the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter.
1: Ken Wyman Show here at Baltimore Sports and Life on of Blog Talk Radio. And a few notes as we close out. Number one, the is this weekend. I'm not a horse racing fan. I like to joke that the Triple Crown Racers are those three weeks during the year that we as Americans pretend we love horse racing. I think the pregame is a big deal locally and economically and all of that. But uh, I, uh, I, nobody really, then I'm sure there are horse racing fans that care when the Breeders' Cup comes around. But I think the rest of us sort of, uh, forget about horse racing after the triple crown races are over uh, and the Prignus being the best of them because you, the first, well, the Derby's the first race and that's great, but the Prignus is guaranteed to have a horse with a shot to win the triple crown. Unless the horse doesn't show, unless the horse decides to skip the Prignus and then there will be no triple crown winner, but you, you have that opportunity with the Prignus to have a, a horse win the triple crown. Now, unfortunately uh, for the Belmont, if the horse that wins the Pregnancy isn't the horse that won the Derby, it takes a lot of the interest away from the Belmont. So they're sort of um, they're they're sort of stuck at, at that point. Um, but obviously, still a good race. Uh, NBA playoffs and NBA draft lottery lottery was held last night. Um, as most of you know, and maybe you don't know, I'm a, a huge NBA fan and a long suffering Philadelphia 76ers fan. And very excited. that The Sixers finally won the draft lottery. I assume they're going to take Ben Simmons, the uh, 610 point guard from LSU, even though with, with having Ben Simmons didn't do anything, didn't make the NCAA tournament. That's a little concerning, but he's so talented. I don't think you have any choice, but to take Ben Simmons, uh, and Brendan Ingram is a nice player as well, and he's a better shooter. I think the Sixers need that kind of dynamic point guard. But can Ben Simmons handle being the face of a franchise? We'll see. As far as the NBA playoffs are concerned, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers have yet to lose a playoff game. They blew out the Raptors last night, and to me, I find it that it, it, it's very likely that they might uh, go into uh, the the finals with uh, without losing a game and then still lose. That's sort of my read on this whole thing, that they could, they they might sweep Toronto. I think it's uh, based on what I saw last night. I don't know how Toronto competes with Cleveland unless they pick up a game in Toronto, but they've swept the first two rounds. I could easily see them sweep the, the last round. As far as the Western Conference goes, and uh, I felt Golden State, in game one, they stopped playing their game. And, and I give Oklahoma City credits for some of this. They played good defense. But Golden State, what makes their offense work is the ball movement, working their offense, a lot of movement, and a lot of lot of weaving as far as what they do with their offensive sets. And they did none of that in that fourth quarter. And they, they, this is the greatest offense I've ever seen. They only scored 14 points. And they got themselves stuck taking a lot of quick shots. And I, I just – I would think they come back tonight and play more of their game and even that series up. I can't believe a 73-win team has a must-win game in game two, but it's going to be tough because Oklahoma City is really good. And if, if you go back to Oklahoma City down 0-2, I don't care how good you are, that's going to be a difficult road to hoe. So I expect Golden State to win game two. And I still expect them to win this series. I kind of thought Oklahoma city might steal a game, thought they might steal tonight's game. Uh, But uh, I look at, uh, I look at golden state and I just think they're the best team. It's not going out on a limb because they're a 73 win team, but they're the best team. They have Steph Curry, who to me is the best shooter I've ever seen and a great player. And I know Oklahoma city has two of the top five players in the league. And I think that's pretty – with Anthony Davis being hurt this year, it's LeBron, it's Steph, it's Kawhi Leonard, it's Russell Westbrook, and it's Kevin Durant. Those are your best five players in the league. So when you have two of the best five, you have a shot to win. And Kevin Durant being a local kid, that's kind of cool. So – and he's not coming to the Wizards. So that that ship is sailed. But anyway, I hope you enjoyed Episode 3 of the Ken Wyman Show. We will talk to you next week.